Welcome to the Beyond the Books podcast, where we're talking with the experts solving the world's biggest problems. My name is Jonah Linewan. And my name is Parian Singh, and we'd like to welcome you back to season three of the Beyond the Books podcast. We are pleased to welcome someone who is well-versed in all fields of science, Canadian science journalist, Bob McDonald. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bob. So Jonah and I actually both used to watch the show Heads Up that you hosted, so it feels absolutely surreal to have you on our podcast. <laughs> well, thank you very much for inviting me to talk to you guys. It's nice to see that my Heads Up kids have grown up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot of us know that you have a pretty wide range of experiences, including hosting science TV shows, but we also heard that you're a motorcyclist. So have yes. you had the chance to go on any nice road trips lately? Oh, um, yes, I've, I've been a motorcyclist all my life. Uh, in fact, I've been riding motorcycles longer than I've been driving cars. And uh, I'm on number 20 at the moment. And uh, I live on the West Coast. I live in, on Vancouver Island in Victoria. So I regularly travel through the mountains. This past summer, I, I had to just stay within BC and Alberta in the mountains. I put about 9,000 kilometers on the odometer and drove through smoke most of the time because of all the wildfires here. But I've been all over North America many times. I've crossed back and forth across Canada. I've been down to the Gulf of Mexico. I've been all over the States. And it's just a wonderful way to travel because you're always outside. And I, I, it's like taking a giant walk across the country. In 2015, I did a trip from here to uh, Baltimore, Maryland during the uh, Pluto mission, 2015. Is that, is that what I said? Yeah, there was a mission to Pluto and they were controlling it at uh, the Johns Hopkins University. And I wanted to see that. So I used my motorcycle to drive from here to there and uh, witness the flyby of Pluto. That was pretty exciting. So yeah, motorcycling is a big part of my life. That, that's really awesome. Uh, what we're going to hop into right away is a couple speed round questions. So okay. we'll ask you and then just try to answer briefly in just a couple sentences. Okay. So uh, what is the favorite episode of Quirks and Quarks that you have recorded in the last year? Holy smokes. Uh, you know, that's really hard to say because every show is different and every show I find really fascinating. So, and we, and we cover so many topics, it's really hard to nail one down. One thing I do like is when we do question shows, when we have experts come in and we answer questions from the audience, that's always a lot of fun. And also anytime we, we interview the Nobel, when the Nobel prizes are given out and I get to talk to who won, who just won the Nobel prize, that's always very special for me. That's awesome. And who would you say inspires you? Who inspired me? I was inspired in my early days by the late Carl Sagan, a famous astronomer, a television producer. He did the original series Cosmos. He was very poetic. I had the fortune to meet Carl on a number of occasions. He was also involved in a lot of the planetary missions. And he had a way of poetically speaking, and he had a sense of place. He could take you to Mars and tell you what it would be like to be there or take you out of the galaxy anywhere you want to go. So he inspired me a lot. If you could have lunch with any Canadian right now, who would it be? Lunch with any Canadian? Boy, uh, well, I'm good friends with Chris Hadfield. And every time I see him, we always have a really good time because we not only have lunch, we make music together. So that's always very special. Yeah, we were actually really lucky to have the opportunity to interview Chris Hatfield in our past season. That was just an amazing experience as well. Yeah, I've known Chris since 1995 when I followed him to Russia on his first mission to space, which was up to the Russian space station. And uh, that's when we first met. We've been friends ever since. Wow. And uh, how old were you when you discovered your love for science? 
I was about seven. My mother came home with a book called The Planets, which I still have. It was a golden book of knowledge. It was an art book. And at that time, uh, the space program hadn't even happened yet. Uh, the, the, there was just before Sputnik went up. That's how old I am. <laughs> the whole space program has happened in my lifetime. And that showed me that the Earth was only one of a whole family of planets and all the others are really, really different. And that grabbed me, that, that just got me going in space. And then I was fortunate as a kid to watch the space program happen, watch them land on the moon. And I watched all the moon missions, not just the first one, and figured that by the time I was dying my hair gray in the 21st century, I'd be having holidays on the moon by now. <laughs> How would you describe your experience seeing a total solar eclipse in Casper, Wyoming? Oh, that was fabulous. I went down on my motorcycle to see that one. And it was the first eclipse. I've seen six eclipses around the world. I used to be an avid eclipse chaser. Well, actually, I still am. I've seen them in Hawaii, in Indonesia, in Africa. Uh, I've been all over the planet watching eclipses. But usually I was with other science scientists or science journalists. And this was the first time that I was with the general public. And it was really great. It was almost a spiritual experience because People didn't really know what was going to happen. And it got really quiet ahead of time. But then when it did happen, everybody went nuts and they were screaming and yelling and crying. And, uh, and then afterwards, everyone went really quiet again because they just had this cosmic experience that's like no other. So it was very, very powerful to witness that. And I recommend you see them any chance you get. The next one's in 2024. It's gonna go through Niagara Falls, Ontario. Be there. Yeah, I, I think I heard about that, but it's going to be like during our exam week, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, maybe you can leave the exam and check it out. <laughs> okay. But uh, what would you say is your favorite way to relax? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Oh, sorry. Uh, so what is your favorite way to relax? My favorite way to relax, well, my other uh, outdoor activity is sailing. I have a sailboat and I've also done a lot of traveling on the water and it's very peaceful to go out and uh, put the sails up, turn off the engine and let the wind carry you along. It is uh, beautiful. It's elegant. It's a wonderful way to travel. And I like to uh, find little coves and bays, drop the anchor and just go completely quiet, even spend the night there. So sailing is my, my peaceful activity. Thank you so much for taking part in our speed round questions and now to pivot more towards your career. So feel free to, to talk a little bit more in depth if you'd like to. So the first question I have, and I'm sure a lot of people have as well, is what is science journalism and how would you describe it? I see science journalism as being a translator. You're, you're translating another language because science has its own language that's very specific. It has to be so that they can be precise in what they're doing. And it doesn't matter what subject of science you're talking about. I find medical science really hard because the terminology is so complex. I don't know why they can't come up with simple names for things and everything is so complex. And my job as a journalist is to be a bridge, a translator between the scientific language and what people on the street speak. Because the general public is interested in what science does and science is involved in so many aspects of our lives. But sometimes it's difficult to understand. So I try to interpret. I try to put my own spin on it when I can by using analogies or uh, try clarifications. So I, I really see myself as a translator of science to the general public. And on that note, you've engaged in science journalism through a lot of different methods uh, over the course of the years. Obviously, your show on CBC, Quirks and Quarks, uh, the Heads Up TV program we mentioned earlier, and your various books. So I'm curious to hear what you think of 
the use of social media as a new platform for science journalism and science outreach? I'm both excited by that and I'm dismayed by that. I'm excited because it gives platform to so many people, so many scientists to speak up and say, here, here's what I do. Here's what I know. And I want to share that with you. Like you guys are doing this. It's fabulous what you're doing. And uh, instead of just having to go through the filter of the CBC or CTV or NPR in the States or whatever, you don't, you don't have to go through an organization. You can do it yourself. But I'm dismayed by a lot of misinformation that's out there, conspiracy theories, um, climate deniers, and, and people who are putting out stuff that's just wrong, that confuses the public, that deceives the public. And sometimes you can't tell the difference. And that's that's a problem. And there, it's, it's up to to us in the science journalism business to try to tell the difference and, and report the truth. You know, science is one of the few subjects that we have that seeks the truth. Justice is supposed to do that, and it does for the most part, but justice is also about who wins. You know, if you can find a loophole or a way to get around and win in court, whether you did it or not almost doesn't matter you, if you get away with it. But science is trying to find the truth about how the universe works. And some people don't want to hear that because it might interfere with their business or it might interfere, in, interfere with their political agenda or whatever. So then misinformation is put out and, and that's, that's a real challenge to try to divide between what's true and what is deceiving. Yeah, that, that's definitely a, a great way to, to view the use of social media today and, and especially in science communication. And even these days, something that I've noticed is that in a lot of TV shows, I think it's becoming less common now, but kids are often presented as individuals who don't like mathematics, who don't like science. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of kids that are that are actually like this as well, unfortunately. So mm -hmm. if you had the opportunity to put these kids in a room and speak to them, what science topic do you think that you discuss to capture their attention? Because these kids really are the future of science. One thing I might do is show up on my motorcycle in full leathers and say, look, Am I you, don't, you don't have to wear a white coat and have thick glasses and funny hair. You know, I never got into that that image of the mad scientist. You can be a regular person and, and have, a, have a life. In fact, I remember one time, I, before Heads Up, I did another children's program in the 1980s called Wonderstruck. And I was visiting a school, talking to some, some young kids about it. And they were, you know, whenever you see someone from television and you see them live, there's, there's always that, gee, you, you don't look the same as you do on TV. And I, I saw how they were looking at me and I said, do I look a little older than, than you thought? And they all went, yeah. I mean, little kids are so great. They tell, they tell the truth, right? They don't, <laughs> I said, yeah. And I said, and have you noticed that my teeth aren't straight? Yeah. I said, and you notice, and I turned sideways. I, sometimes I stand with a bit of a stoop. You know, I should stand up, so I'm stooped over a little bit. And I went, yeah. I said, I'm kind of funny looking, aren't I? And they went, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, if a, if a gray-haired, older crooked tooth stooped over funny looking guy like me can make it on television so can you you don't have to be special you don't you just just do what you want to do and, and pursue things it's it's not all about image you know and and in television especially you know people get hung up on image well i've managed to get my way through it looking the way i do and people accept me because i've got something to say i have something to say not just relying on how i look so um that's um ideas are everything ideas are everything yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I think with kids, 
um, it's a lot easier to get their real opinion on things. They are more yes. often to tell the truth. Yeah, so. and you, you can be a scientist no matter what you look like or, or who you think you are. So don't, don't think that you have to be special and it, it doesn't have to be hard. All you have to do is just get into it. You know, people say mathematics is hard, but then you watch a baseball game and look at all the statistics that go by in baseball games, you know, the average and the RBIs and all this stuff. And they're always throwing numbers at you. That's amazing. Or you look at the stock exchange. God, there's so much mathematics involved in stocks and people say, oh, mathematics is hard. Oh, yeah. Well, you, it's, it's everywhere in our lives. So it, science has always been stigmatized, including in movies. The scientist is either a nerd or they're evil. They're the evil scientist that's going to take over, take over the world. They're, they're seldom represented as somebody who's, uh, you know, looks like a normal person is doing good stuff, with the exception of CSI. Now, CSI was a fabulous series that came on where it showed good looking people doing great forensic science. And it was amazing. After that program went to air, a lot of people signed up, especially women wanted to, young girls wanted to get into forensic scientists because they were seeing, seeing these scientists in leather pants doing, doing great work. So uh, I, I think it's important to cultivate the image of science beyond the mad scientist nerd. Yeah, and it's absolutely amazing today because there are a lot of organizations as well, such as like Let's Talk Science that do uh, workshops for, 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 for young students where they go into their classrooms. Well, right now, because of COVID, it's all being done remotely. But I think like having these outreach programs is something that's extremely helpful as well. Sure. And summer camps, summer science camps. Yeah, there's lots of great programs out there. I actually want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. Uh, about the uh, conspiracy theories, because I know that you're very outspoken on this topic. And uh, I recall an interview you gave on The National where you come out against pseudoscience and say, mm -hmm. you know, you're not a fan of, of that whole area. And, you know, we've seen in COVID that pseudoscience reach a whole new level of uh, popularity in mainstream society. Why do you think that is with COVID? And what would you maybe tell the average person listening uh, they could do to help combat vaccine hesitancy? Well, I always say, look at your sources. Who's telling you this? Who's telling you this? I, since COVID began, I've been interviewing the top scientists in the world who actually are working on COVID and who were developing the vaccine and explaining how the virus worked and how they were tackling it. And it was very clear. And if, if people say, oh, well, vaccines cause autism, that's, that's a common thing out there. There was one scientific paper that came out about 20 years ago that said that, and it has since been disproven again and again and again to be not true. The scientist, the, that scientific paper was flawed. But once you have an idea like that out there, it becomes a meme. It takes on a life of its own, and people believe it. I still have people saying, did they really land on the moon? Um, I've met people who walked on the moon <laughs> and, and of course they landed on the moon, but there's, there's an idea there and it just won't go away. And now with COVID, it's more than just a crazy idea. It's dangerous. It's dangerous because the people who are going against vaccines are the ones who are showing up in the hospital now. It's something like, I know in British Columbia, where I live, something like 90% of the people in hospital with COVID are unvaccinated. And most of the people who are carrying the new, the new variant are unvaccinated. So they're now spreading the more virulent part, deadly part of the disease, and they're protesting against it for reasons I don't understand. Um, so it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and it's dangerous this time, and that worries me a lot. 
Yeah, and the COVID hospital protests that were happening just last week and a few terrible. weeks ago. Yeah, those those are absolutely terrible. And they make no it. sense. I don't yeah, get like it. The, yeah, like the people who are in the hospital are the ones who are unvaccinated and the people protesting outside of the hospitals are also the unvaccinated. So right. there's no proper logic there. No, and what are they going to do when they get it? Are they going <laughs> to go back to the hospital, you know, with their tail between their legs? It's, it's nuts. I just don't understand it at all. And this is this is something, this is a tool that we know it brings the numbers down because we we flattened the first wave. <clears throat> so, you know, they were talking about flattening the curve. We did that. When the vaccines came out, the, the numbers went down dramatically. And it really showed that they do work. And now they're going up because largely of people not, take, not getting vaccinated. And um, <clears throat> it's, <laughs> you know, it's like you're on the Titanic. And then you say, no, I don't want to get into the lifeboats. I've heard they're dangerous. I'm going to stay on the ship. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> what do you want to believe? Everybody gets their own choice. It's just a shame when people right. make but choices. But look at the sources. Who's, who's telling you that, it, that misinformation? And I find like not just COVID, but in, in conspiracy, like they're aliens on the moon or, or you know, UFOs and things like that. If you, if you watch those, I get angry when I watch those supposed documentaries on television. I start screaming at the television. No, that's not true. But th what they do, they just keep asking questions. They don't give you evidence. They say, look at this rock on the moon. Doesn't that look like a face? Uh, doesn't that look like a building? Does it, is it possible that maybe aliens were there? They don't really answer that. They just ask the questions all the time. Keep putting the idea in your head. Keep putting the idea in your head. But the idea is not based on anything. So if someone gives you an idea, find out who they are. Where, where did they come from? Is it just someone with an opinion or is it someone from an established scientific organization that's really doing the research? There's a huge, huge difference. In your decades covering science journalism, can you think of any other moments where there was such a high level of skepticism surrounding the scientific community? Or would you say Climate it's kind change. Of climate over. change sure there was climate deniers and we now know that some of them and some of the most vocal were actually sponsored by oil companies exxon mobil was uh, caught sponsoring um, climate deniers and again what they were doing was just trying to slow down the process slow down the process of getting away from fossil fuels so they were putting out misinformation they would put out partial information one of the things about climate change is that the earth doesn't get warm in one big smooth swoop some uh, a nice smooth curve it's more like a staircase or, or a saw blade it goes up and down and up and down and up and down but it's still going up but it goes up in a jagged form so there are periods when it goes down it actually gets cooler a little bit for short periods of time so they would show just that part of the graph and say look between this year and this year it went down so therefore the earth is getting cooler and put that idea just put the idea out there so climate change was a, a huge and is still going on to a certain extent although now with the wildfires and the hurricanes getting stronger and all the predictions from um, the intergovernment, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change coming true and coming true faster than they, they thought. I think we've reached a tipping point now where people are no longer believing that. And it's like, what are we gonna do next? Certainly a crazy time. Um, yeah. It's a good thing that we have voices like yours to help us <laughs> see the light. Well, my next, my next book is um, my working title. It's, in, it's with the editor right now, but my working title is, what's the alternative? And I'm trying to assemble all of the alternative energies that are available to us beyond fossil fuels. And even how else can we get energy out of fossil fuels without contaminating the environment? Because there are some ideas there too. So I'm trying to paint a picture of what our future energy system might look like. 
uh, without depending on just the fossil fuels. And it, it's very interesting. There are a lot, of, a lot of options available to us. And what stuns me is that those technologies already exist. There's no new inventing required. They already exist. We just need to implement them. We'll be sure to keep an eye out for that book. And it's great to have someone here with your bank of knowledge because it sets up perfectly for the introduction of our new season three segment, which we're calling fill in the blank, where <laughs> we will uh, start a sentence and we'll get you to finish it. Of course, uh, nothing you say can be accepted as the ultimate fact, but in your <laughs> personal opinion, with your uh, experience and knowledge. Oh, man, so, talk about putting me on the hot seat. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, okay. don't worry. No okay. pressure at all. So Yeah, really? Okay. We'll, we'll start with the first one. Uh, the COVID pandemic will end in blank. Uh, I, <laughs> when we get herd immunity. And whether or not that will really happen, I think COVID will end up being uh, an annual vaccine like the flu vaccine, and it'll probably be included in the flu vaccine. And it will, we'll all just become naturally immune to it over time. In the next 10,000 years, humans will blank. Humans will have evolved out of the fossil fuel age, have controlled our population growth, have managed water and food and resources and are living sustainably on planet earth with a few brave colonists on mars <laughs> very optimistic forecast for sure in 10 years artificial intelligence will be blank a little better than it is right now it will be largely invisible it will be like uh, taking care of things like helping doctors do diagnoses by analyzing all previous cases. Uh, it'll be helping forensic scientists uh, with large databases. It, that's where it'll be working. We will not have robot butlers. We, uh, we might have very smart machines, self-driving cars and whatnot, um, but they'll be, they'll be in the background. They'll be specialists that will do one thing very well or a few things very well, but we will not have artificial humans. We won't, they won't take over the world. Terminator is still a long way off. <laughs> yeah, something people are always scared of, like what if we make an AI that just turns on us and just takes over the world? <laughs> oh, it's great, great fodder for science fiction. I love it. I, I think science fiction is really fabulous and we should uh, keep an eye on that. But uh, yeah, I, I think we're a long way from that. The biggest threat to mankind is blank. Ourselves, ourselves, and our um, sometimes narrow-minded way or greedy ways that we deal with our resources, the way we fight or say, you know, we're the only species that kills our own kind. In the rest of the animal world, there are conflicts. There are a lot of conflicts. And among chimpanzees, our closest relatives, they're really violent with each other. It's a very aggressive society, but they don't kill each other. If a fight breaks out, it comes to a point where one of them says, okay, you win, and they both back off. And that's true throughout the animal world. When, when you know, um, longhorn sheep are butting heads together, they butt for quite a while. And then finally, one of them says, okay, you're the dominant one, I back off. But humans, we kill each other. And I don't know why we do that. And I, we, we got to get over that <laughs> and uh, get along with each other and, and how we... Um, how we share the planet because there's only one one earth and it's it's getting smaller and smaller as our numbers get bigger and bigger so we really have to control our own numbers 
and find ways to do that. And part of the ways to do that is to give women more education in developing countries, give them more choice. Most misunderstood concept in science is blank. Relativity and quantum physics. The world of um, alternative universes, parallel universes, spooky action at a distance, the weird way that subatomic particles behave, how the universe began, we don't know how it started. That's why the world's largest experiment, the Large Hadron Collider, is trying to create conditions of the Big Bang. And they're coming up with all kinds of weird stuff. So um, yeah, that's, that's one of them. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think like relativity or anything like that will be understood by anyone except for Einstein and the, the greats in science. <laughs> but yeah, the question I actually was going to ask you is pretty similar to, to relativity and quantum mechanics. So the possibility of other universes existing is blank. Other universes existing? Yeah. Well, according uh, mathematically, you can have as many universes as you like. I think the current model um, is something like a dodecahedron, which I think has 10, it's like a soccer ball, it's got 10 sides to it. Um, but that's all theoretical. We haven't yet found a way to get to those other universes. Also on the cosmic scale, because we cannot see the entire universe, we can, we can only see out a certain distance, then we're back to the beginning of time. So we're kind of in a bubble of perception. We have a perceptual handicap when it comes to see the universe. One idea is that the, the universe is like soap suds and we're inside one of the little bubbles and our bubble grew big, it expanded. <laughs> and that's what we're in, but we can't go to the other bubbles yet. We haven't figured out how to do that because when you try to leave our universe, you end up going in a circle coming back to where you started. Curved space, as Einstein said. So yeah, these are all great mathematical ideas, but uh, that's all they are. It's just ideas on chalkboards. We haven't seen the physical evidence for that yet. Yeah, and, and even a lot of movies today, people try to present the concept of quantum mechanics, but they obviously try to dumb it down for the public. But I don't think anyone actually fully understands it's, it's quantum hard. mechanics. It's hard. It's hard. And even when I'm talking to scientists about this, I have uh, often asked the question, what are the chances that you're wrong? And very often they'll go, mm, not bad. <laughs> So uh, what I find, I, I, I have a whole presentation that I do called, what if everything we know is wrong? What if we got it wrong? Because in the past, we've, we've gotten it wrong before. We, in, as we discovered our place in the universe, we used to think the earth was at the center of everything. And we found out it's not. We found out the universe is much larger than we thought. Then we discovered the galaxy. Then we found other galaxies that the universe is expanding. Now we know it's accelerating, it's speeding up thing called you know dark energy we have no idea what it is and there's stuff out there we found called dark matter which is between the stars and between the galaxies it's it's got some substance to it we don't know what it is and those two things together dark energy and dark matter make up more than 95 percent of the universe 95 percent of the universe we don't know what it is so we think we're Amazing. so smart in the 21st century what we don't know far exceeds what we do know and it's, it's not just in astronomy, in medicine, in biology, and, and uh, all of it. That, that's what makes science so exciting to me. It's, it's probing the unknown. And I find that really exciting. Yeah, uh, thank you so much for taking part in our fill in the blank segment. 
And let's talk a little bit more about yourself now. So if you didn't get into the science journalism industry as a career, what field do you think you would have gone into? I started out as an actor, actually, when I was in high school and university. I did a lot of acting. I, I played some uh, Shakespeare. I played some comedy roles, uh, did some improvisational theater. And I thought that was going to be my lot in life, actually, and because uh, I got some awards for it and um, thought that uh, maybe that would be a fun thing to do. But what I didn't like about acting was how you have to audition and sell yourself, put yourself on the auction block all the time. I didn't like that. And I was very fortunate in my early days to um, get a job at the Ontario Science Centre in Toronto, standing people's hair up with static electricity, freezing flowers in liquid nitrogen, burning holes through bricks with a giant laser and all that stuff, which is theater. So I got to do theater on stage. So I get to be on stage, but I was doing science. And I was writing the scripts myself, just in my own head, talking freely. And I've, I've been doing that kind of stuff ever since. So in a way, uh, I still get to act, but I'm getting to be my own character rather than playing someone else. And that's, that's pretty cool. Well, that's a very poetic way to end the episode so uh bob mcdonald thank you so much for joining us today to everyone listening uh thanks for tuning in my name is jonah linewand and my name is Aryan singh and we'd like to thank you for listening to our podcast be sure to check us out on instagram at beyond the books pod and we'll see you next week mm-hmm.